This is the one where it's cold outside. There's no kind of atmosphere. And they're all alone, more or less. It's called Cold War. Here we go. We're still on our epic race. All through time and all through space. We're slipping and angels now. Dalek, Cyber, Zood and wow! Counting Sonic's rating out. From the poor to the sublime. Eccleston to Whittaker. Let's agree it's about time. Who back when? Reviewing on you who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Rose and Donna. Amy Pond. Rory Clara. And beyond. Join us on this side to see what other choice could there be but who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all and sundry, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dog Past. Or Dog Past. Or Dog Past, yes! <laughs> nice, the first of many canine interjections. Because <laughs> under the table tonight, the most important cast member, who you probably won't hear from, is Evie! Hello, Evie. Hi, Evie, I love you! Ruff. <laughs> she sounds nothing like that. How dare you! <laughs> She just looked up. Will you stop <laughs> riling up the puppy? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> She's happy and asleep. I am well, Drew back when. To my left is... Marie. Hello, Marie. Hello, Hi. Drew. And to her frontage is... Leon. Hello. Splendid. There's no Jim. But we've got Evie. Hello, yeah. Jim. Hello, Did Evie. I mention we have Evie? <laughs> <laughs> and this is N097 Cold War, written by Mark Gatiss. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So we're doing that. <laughs> but, uh, at, at intervals. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that they toned that down. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. Just just Google it from Classic Who. Was it a way of padding out a five or six episode serial with only three episodes worth of material? You know what? Maybe. That may very well have been the case. Was the Doctor just constantly tapping his foot, being like, when am I going to be able to... Nope, they're still going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ish. Did he bump into them on the waters of the Mississippi and... No. No? No, none of that stuff. Now you just got silly. <laughs> no, but they were like barely audible. You couldn't understand what they were saying. And in this one, it's much better. Much better. First Ice Warrior in You Who. Yeah. Would you say it's the return of an iconic foe? Yes, definitely. Ah. Yeah, 100 bajillion percent. Yeah, so there's a lot riding on this episode that I completely forgot existed then. Hang on. I'm going to save this one point until post B-Scow. Shall we B-Scow? Let's. <laughs> <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lubify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? It's 1983, and precisely two Western pop songs have made it across the Iron Curtain to Professor Grizenko, a self-proclaimed mammoth specialist, along for the ride in a Soviet sub because it's less sad, sopping, and sunless than the violence of summer in Siberia. However, his prying protege Peter cares nothing for proper lab protocols and gets busy with his blowtorch below deck until the perplexing ice package has come undone. Meanwhile, Captain Zukov is struggling to keep wild boy Lieutenant Stepashin from blowing up Rio or possibly burning the ground of all planet Earth. In Plop, Doc and Clara, all she wants is to visit Las Vegas at the seamiest, seediest point in its history, but instead they're forced to match wits with the notorious Skaldak. Mars' greatest ever hero in a whole shell, who's looking to break his 5,000-year cold streak with a view to a kill. B-Scow over, you are welcome. Aren't you just... But he doesn't sound like, aren't you just... No, that's true. He he also... (laughs) I mean, sort of deep gurgling seems to be the theme for this part of the series. We had it with the vigil last week, with all the... 
And also predator sounds. Mm, lots of predator sounds. Ah. Sounded super predatory. Predatory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and I think we've had it before that as well. I mean, we had the silence a while ago, but who else has there been lately? I don't know. Well, with like a dark, echoey, rumbling voice. Yeah, I feel like I've been doing that every week. Yeah, sorry, I can't think of one. Who wants to start with a question? Oh, okay. <laughs> What's the deal with Doc's Barbie doll? I have no idea. He's extremely happy to see it back again. I mean, yeah. <laughs> About as happy as he is to get the screw- Sonic screwdriver back. Yeah, exactly. We've never seen the Barbie doll before, presumably, because it's for private time. <laughs> yeah, clearly, it was just hanging around in his pocket, meaning an awful lot to him, but he wasn't prepared to give it to a dog for his <laughs> moped. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> excellent callback. So no, completely unexplained. Have you found any trivia on the subject? No, but, but I'm, I'm glad that you asked. I'm, I'm going to open up a little browser window while we chat. Nope, no mention of the doll. No, it's just another one of these dead links, like the um, Rolls-Royce engine in the TARDIS never went anywhere. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe it was on the poster, just to excite interest. Or maybe it's just to be weird. Maybe it's, maybe it's just, oh, he's... He's strange and eccentric. He plays like a... He's like a child. Could be. No, like, I sort of expected it to be a callback to something. So you didn't remember this episode at all? I don't think I ever watched it. What? Really? I, it was... My memory was that blank. There was nothing in there at all. Mm-hmm. My memory of this episode was the Hungry Like the Wolf song, and I thought that that was a really big part of the episode, and every time I've thought about this episode, I've sung that song, and I have it in my head now. <laughs> And it's just, and it's really, really tiny. It's a really small... Yeah, it's just like in one scene. Yeah. No, it's in two well, scenes. Two. And oh, two scenes, sorry. And that's too, too many. But I thought that, <laughs> I thought the, the fact that Clara sang it was like really key and vital and important and needed to happen, but it wasn't. It was well, I think with another, I think with another redraft, it might have been, and we were perhaps supposed to think that in some way it was, because otherwise, why is she doing it i'd i think i've seen a different version of this episode that's been edited very differently and the song is important and it was much better because of it well i wonder because the episode was really short at least on netflix where i'm viewing it that's it where was, i'm viewing it It was 41 minutes minus about three minutes of next week's episode high and so do you think they just had rights issues <laughs> they didn't pay duran duran enough do you think leon how did you watch this oh i already had this episode yeah yeah i i have a little library of episodes in your version, okay, <laughs> however you came by it, were they just saying, please, Skaldak, have mercy, and then Clara went, and then, ding, everything's fine. Wait, hang on, can you describe the scene, but in English, please, and, and I'll see if this rings a bell, because what you just did, did not ring a bell for me. Well, Skaldak has been beamed up by the aliens ex machina. Yeah. He's off the ship, but the doc says, ah, we're not safe yet, he could still set off the bomb. Uh, and he, he's basically going, I'll kill it. I'll kill everyone if I have to. I'll kill everyone if I have to. Please, like, have some mercy. And then Clara is at the other side of the submarine just going, mumbly mumble, mumbly copyrighted song. And then... Oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, that absolutely does happen. Why? <laughs> well, what's the... Well, why not? What's the... What's the filler. Filler. <laughs> My memory of this episode was that it was brilliant. That, mm. I, that I remember Ooh. loving this episode, thinking it was very atmospheric. It was a cool setting. It was... Like a classic for, even though at the time I didn't, I had never encountered the Ice Warriors before. But but now I'm thinking it's it's a good episode, but it's nowhere near as exciting as it was at the time. But and there's so much filler. There's so little plot and so much filler. So why wouldn't you? Why would you not expect a scene where someone just mumbles in a corner? 
because <laughs> followed it's, by a Deus Ex Machina. Because it's the climactic scene, and anything that Clara... I mean, Clara is supposed to have agency here. She has been pleading with Skaldak more effectively than the Doctor. Yeah. And it basically very faintly implies that Skaldak is listening from up on the ship, and here's Clara mumbling that stuff, and he's like, do you know what? Those words weirdly apply to me. This chick gets me. I'm going to spare the planet. I, I did not read that into it at all. No, I didn't read that into it. The old guy. Do you, Wait, the old guy. Do you mean David Warner? Legendary David Warner. Do I mean David Warner that was in um, the Time Bandits? Yes. Yes, I do mean legendary oh, David Warner. Oh, David Warner. Please tell me that you're listening, David. <laughs> <laughs> David Warner in two episodes of Murder, She Wrote. I'm sorry for calling you that old guy, David Warner. I didn't mean it. Take it all back. (laughs) I once saw David Warner from across the room at a London Comic Con and just jizzed myself. No, I beamed happiness. The man is a legend. He was also in a softcore porn with uh, Pamela Anderson. Crumbs? Yeah, not softcore porn. A softcore thriller with Pamela Anderson. I see. (laughs) (laughs) Softcore thriller. (laughs) His, his IMDb bio in the first two lines confesses that he is a literal bastard. Really? Yeah. Okay, fine. I, um, <laughs> just, just being upfront about it. Cool. Born out of wedlock. He is from Manchester. He was also in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. He was also in Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Was he? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, so good they brought him back twice. Oh, brilliant. And then in TNG. Oh, yes, of course. Surely his finest role was as Dennis Charles Nipple in Little Malcolm and his struggle against the eunuchs. Huge fan of nipples. Mmm. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I just, I, I, I somehow glazed over that last word. His struggle against the eunuchs. Yep. <laughs> Don't ask me what Little Malcolm had against them. I mean, maybe it's best not to think what he had yeah. against them. Anyway, sorry, hang it on. It was we the were 70s, about this. it was fine. We were talking about this episode. Marie, you, you were saying something about this episode when, when, <laughs> when I interrupted you and went, David Warner. <laughs> The scene, mumbly, oh, mumbly Clara. Mumbly, mumbly. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think that she was mumbling and that Skaldak heard her. It was just, she's been very bold and brave up to this point and she's shown no fear. And I think David Warner said that he sings to stop himself being afraid. So there was, you go. It was just a little, like she was singing to herself, which is why she was mumbling, but it was her being afraid, like genuinely afraid. Yeah. I oh, just, so it was set up by something. Yeah, but Okay. No, I missed oh, the setup helps. as well. Oh, really? Yeah, but I yeah. took it to just be her. Like maybe she was just nervous. I think I'm sure he said when I'm when I'm afraid, I sing to myself to t- like to distract myself. Makes from perfect things, sense. I think. I think Skaldak actually just. It's not that he turned out to be a good guy, but in in the end, he realized that no, it would be going overboard to destroy this entire planet because one dude cattle prodded him. Yeah, what he should do is rendezvous with his spaceship full of comrades. Yeah. And provoke a conflict on Earth the very next moment, and then take over the world. Yeah. Yeah, which is presumably the sequel to this episode, which we don't get to see. The much more entertaining and less filiful sequel. Do you know that Brendan Fraser film, where he's like a caveman, he's thawed from the ice? Probably called, like, the Iceman or something. Anyway, Brendan Fraser plays a caveman who, he, he was frozen, and he's thawed That's in the frozen. 90s. Oh, frozen. Oh, yeah, yeah there yeah, you go, yeah. yeah. Fast forward to 1983, the planet is Mars, 
there's a 5,000-year-old Skaldak <laughs> getting into some scraps and adventures. He needs to, you know, get accustomed to a new ice warrior <laughs> culture. He doesn't really get their music. Everyone laughs at jokes he doesn't understand. So but then he falls a- in love with another ice warrior and... This is a buddy comedy. Yes. So, and this the, Or a romance. It's a romance. Yeah, the the ice warrior he falls in love with is Scalax Granddaughter. Oh, and oh I see. So it's like a is a will they won't they wait, yeah. should they? She's <laughs> the new head of the Tharsisian sect or whatever it is. Right. He's the Tharsisian sect leader emeritus at this wait, point. Wait, wait, wait. Does it have to be incest? Can it not just be like why, why can't she be the great granddaughter of that girl he oh. fancied but oh, I, never I, dead to ask out Sorry, I thought Brendan Fraser was waking up on Mars in a role reversal. No, no. I mean, Skalak has been asleep for 5,000 years. His buddies have just picked him up. But like, it's very likely that they're just going to cut him open and see what they were like 5,000 years ago. <laughs> like, like, ask him some questions and then shun him, because what can he possibly do for them? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't advocating the old incest there. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up. Who back when does not advocate incest? Just lost 7% of our listenership. <laughs> <laughs> so I was annoyed by the very first minute of this episode. Oh, really? Because the first words you hear in this episode are, Signal is genuine! Signal is genuine! And it's a massive fake-out. It's a drill. Yeah, but they're yeah. not going to say, It's a drill. Come on, guys. Let's get this together. Well, no, everyone on the submarine knows what's happening, but it's cheap. Oh, I quite. I, I I did not have a reaction to that. I really enjoyed the intro, as it, the 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 whole cold open of oh shit is are we in the middle of a war scenario? Is this a an underwater battle of some sort? And then like, yeah, I experienced very, that until the reveal. Very slowly thinking. Actually, it's called the cold. It's called Cold War, isn't it? So this mm. episode, yeah, they're probably they're probably not in a heated battle at all. But no, it, it's a that's a really cool intro. Then, you know, contrasted with David Warner showing up and just singing his heart out and not giving a shit about the seriousness <laughs> of this exercise. It's brilliant. I, sorry, not saying that you're wrong. No, no. <laughs> just saying. No, it's fine. We experienced it exactly the same way. I, it just left a bitterer taste in my mouth. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> How did you find the cast? The rest of the cast? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> What's the captain's? Liam Cunningham. That's right. Liam Cunningham. Um, I had a moment where I heard his voice and suddenly remembered where I knew him from and it made me do a little dance. Was it was it was what was it was when he was father in the Catherine Tate Show Christmas special? Uh No? No. No. Speaking of bitter aftertaste. I thought you were gonna get it. It was when he was father in my all time favourite like film as a kid, A Little Princess. Oh. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Oh my god, it's the best goddamn (laughs) film you'll ever see. It's so good. It's full of children, but they're like back when children could act, like proper child act. Oh, right. They're really good. And he's the dad and he goes off to war and like dies at war and she's brought up in this orphanage. And then events occur and I won't give anything away, but oh, he's very good in it and I love him lots. And now he's in this and I love him again. Fantastic. He was also in Game of Thrones. Yeah, I heard that. As was, uh, what's his face? Cheekbones. Hang on, I wrote down his name. Tobias Menzies. The guy who gets Skaldacked, who wants to start a, an alliance with Skaldak. Steppershin. Steppershin. Oh, that's Steppershin. Yeah, thank you. The guy who cattle prods him. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Two Game of Throners. I have some trivia about them. In fact, I have some trivia about all of these people. First off, this is from Toddy's Wikia. David Warner 
You know, that old guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, random old dude number one. He was very nearly not the fifth doctor, not the sixth doctor, but the seventh <laughs> doctor. Yeah, he was uh, suggested by Pip Baker and Jane Baker for the seventh doctor prior to the casting of Sylvester McCoy. But not Colin Baker or Tom Baker. Correct. And presumably they ranked higher. Uh, correct. In, in the great Doctor <laughs> Who Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Cunningham, the captain, was seriously considered for the role of the eighth doctor <gasps> in the movie, in the 96 yeah. movie. Jingle pending. <laughs> <laughs> eighth doctor. No, it's like. <laughs> and uh, just a bit of uh, circular trivia. Have you guys seen The Crown? Yeah. Matt Smith is in The Crown. Of course he is. It's yes. Prince Philip. Correct. He plays Prince Philip in seasons one and two. He will not be playing Prince Philip in season three where this role will be played by Tobias Menzies. Oh! Yeah. Tobias Menzies being the guy who looks like Matt Hancock, who recently dropped out of the Tory leadership race. Wait, hang on, I'm trying to picture it. I think so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and who was also in the thick of it with Capaldi. Ah. Hmm. Also, both Liam Cunningham and David Warner were in the League of Gentlemen's Apocalypse with oh. Mark Gatiss. Oh. It's like a teeny tiny boys club, isn't it? <laughs> Well, at the moment, yes, it really is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have you found Matt Hancock yet? Oh, I haven't looked. Oh, I can. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> Correct. He looks like Matt Hancock skipped lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh. So, how do you feel about the Ice Warrior as a as a, a foe and as a, a as an alien species and culture, etc.? Um, okay, I'll, I'll I, I like the fact that they had an alternative moral code. It wasn't particularly well delineated, but right, yeah. at least it was an inversion or, I'll, you know, hark back to a sort of Spartan is too easy a reference, but a, a, a proper warrior cast with a completely different setup that we have to try to understand, if not necessarily empathize. I felt they could have filled out five more minutes by elaborating on that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, maybe a little bit more backstory. I mean, they say that he's this incredibly famous, this legendary hero. The most famous ever! But we never find out why. So, yeah, because has Doc met him before in, like, in classic, then? I don't know. Oh, that's a very good question. We we get told why, but not what it means. They say that he vanquished the Phobos heresy, and there was something else he did that was also fairly decent. Good, decent going, Skaldak. <laughs> decent going. <laughs> I'm not finding a link to Skaldak outside of this. Oh, wait. I saw, no, I yeah, have. I assumed it was going to be like a little nod to viewers. No, so he, he shows up in a novel later uh, on. Oh. oh, wait, 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 wait. Hang on, here we go. No. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to, oh. <laughs> to get your hopes up. Oh, so he's been in exactly one TV episode, namely this one, uh, and then he shows up in, oh, that's pretty in a novel. I assumed he had a whole backstory that had been explained in a previous episode and, and we were supposed to know who he was. No, mm. but we have had, I mean, okay, so we've, we've encountered Ice Warriors probably tons of times across Doctor Who, twice on Who Back When, I think twice. Uh, the first one being the Ice Warriors, uh, as in the serial, the Ice Warriors, which in the beginning of this episode, I thought this was just going to be a remake of that aboard a submarine. They don't do that anymore, do they, in New Who? They don't have an episode title which is like, 
this is what the new baddie that you're definitely going to meet this week is the called. Daleks, those Hontarans. Yeah. It, it would get two or three million more people tuning in rather than it being some wanky pun. <laughs> I mean, this is how the show lasted for decades. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. just, that was just a digression. No, you're you're absolutely right. <laughs> oh wait, you know what? I've just looked it up on on Who Back When, so we actually get Ice Warriors in a whole mess of episodes. So the first one is the Ice Warriors, then the Seeds of Death, and then they show up in not they're not Ice Warrior serials, but we we get three more appearances. Or we've had three more appearances: the War Games, the Curse of Peladon, and the Monster of Peladon. But in the Ice Warriors, that first one. The reason they're called Ice Warriors is because they were discovered in the ice. So humans named them Ice Warriors for lack of imagination <laughs> and for lack of any, any broader knowledge about space. They just crashed on a mountain. It was cold. They froze. They slept for about 5,000 years until someone chiseled one of them out of, of the ice. But on Mars? No, on Earth. Oh, on Earth. So it was like oh, okay. a ship that just crashed. So is he supposed to be... From the same ship that crashed? Why, how did he get to Earth? I have no idea. I don't know. So, like, the, what are the odds? And also, why is he alone? Yeah. Um, so they just found one dude in the ice oh, somewhere. So when the ship you... crashed, he was presumably riding it like the bomb at the end of Doctor Strange, <laughs> trying to divert its course, and he just got thrown from the crash site and frozen somewhere slightly different. Yeah, possibly. But does that also then imply that there are way more ice warriors frozen yeah, somewhere on Earth? Only the Grand Marshal takes on the responsibility of doing the bomb riding thing and trying to, you know, pull it up manually. Yeah. Super brave, our oh, Skaldak. <laughs> what a chap. No wonder he's so famous. Yeah, decent going, Skaldak. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay, so, all right, so they, they've taken that element of the very first ice warrior serial just repurposed it here just rehashed it yeah which is fine that's completely yeah, yeah. fine we'll come back and to maybe it, it's yeah. a little bit of an homage as well to like oh we're now in fact i think in later of the classic serials they refer to themselves as ice warriors yeah because they really like, actually secretly like the name <laughs> that's way more badass we're just called martians normally well, no, yeah. not martians in our tongue mars is called something else you know yeah. We're called Haribos. That's that's not scary at all. We're just called Planet Four Frogs. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Makes no sense. I've been saying it for years. Why, why yeah. did our ancestor have such low self-esteem? I mean, how did he manage to even procreate? I mean, how did he get the girl? God, you think they'd have? You think they'd have just chosen annihilation rather than gone through with this? I think this is a fantastically well done update of a classic foe. Like way, really, really good. It's dark, it's kind of gritty. He is really quite scary. We've never, ever seen an Ice Warrior outside of its whole shell. <laughs> now, see, that to me just reeked of... Gross? He's naked? No. Do you just... think when he's holding... What's this called? Stinofen? Whatever. Stepashin. Stepashin, thank you. Stipofen. Sorry. <laughs> Do you think he's like, oh, he's holding his head and maybe pressing his little turtle boner against Stepashin's thigh. Well, when Stepashin said, what do you want with me? I expected Skaldak to say, I haven't had sex in 5,000 years. I've been building up a massive ice load. Orifice. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought he was oh, Apologies, podcast lad. <laughs> I loved the puppet work. The puppet was brilliant. Yeah, I knew how naff it was. But it, sometimes I thought it was good, sometimes I thought it was naff. Either way, it made me smile what, every time. Yeah. It, I didn't think it was naff at all. Did you? The hands you think, I Marie? loved, the hands coming down and grabbing the heads, I thought was really cool. I really, really <laughs> disliked the face, the CGI. The CGI face, face yeah. was terrible. Yes. 
and it really annoyed me because it's like we've you've done a really cool like reptilian thing this series like we've done madame vastra you could do something similar oh, yeah, that, look really wait, that's cool a and scary. super good point yeah. yeah and it just looks so cheap enough maybe they didn't know how to make it look different enough from madame vastra Maybe well, they tried. They, That's they did the it. challenge. Couldn't they have made a mask, an actual mask that looked like the CGI mask or face that they designed? Yeah, like they've designed a face, just make a mask. Maybe it's just it. way more resource heavy. Maybe it's more mm. expensive to do it with real props. Well, I mean, there's only one of him. And yeah, they hide e- the face for most of the time. Most of the time it's in the dark. Yeah, then yeah. then maybe that's another problem. That oh, Do we really spend all that time and money on making a mask that will only show for one? Although, you know what? No, I take that back. Because that would then be an impetus to have more Ice Warriors going exactly. forward and stuff. Because yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, once you've got that, this is what the foes look like, then you can bring them back again and again. This is also, and by the way, the first time we see an Ice Warrior without the mask. We've never seen an Ice Warrior face before. They do come back again because we Googled it. Unmasked. And they do unmasked, but they do a proper oh. no, yeah, unarmored, and they do a proper mask for it ne- the next time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Is that then. the Victorian one? I can't remember. Later on, because they are on Mars. Yeah, em- Empress of Mars. Yeah, yeah. that was Gatus as well. Was it? Yeah, that's it. I I remember that being a good serial uh, episode as well, actually. But it looks a lot better if you look at them side by side. Really, I'm going to Google it now. <laughs> Is it called Empress of Mars? I believe so. Yes, there we go. Empress of Mars, Doctor Who. Well, there's a, yeah, there's a, the Empress herself. We don't get to see her apparently without the mask. Well, maybe later on in the episode, I'm not finding anything. She's got the same thing where it's like, you know, the Batman cowl effectively. You can see the lower half of her face. I don't know if it's that impressive. I wasn't impressed with this one. I I thought that why not, if this is such an iconic foe coming back, why not just have it come back rather than it has to come back with a gimmick? Like, oh, we see something we haven't seen before. They didn't do that with the Daleks immediately, although the Daleks have also been seen outside of their shell, which is perhaps why I thought this was a particularly unoriginal route to take with it. Mm. And in fact, in the last episode, we saw a Dalek of its shell resolution. So maybe in a different year, this would seem less hackneyed. But I thought it looked much better, just the suit by itself, really imposing, especially in the tiny confines of that submarine Mm. and just go against that and make that hard enough and then if you need to do an evolution of the ice warriors later on and get them out and fuck around with them (laughs) by all means (laughs) what about the tech though i thought the suit was really cool or not the suit the armor i thought that was really bad okay wait oh wait uh, i have have a question for you at last (laughs) when the we can start (laughs) so he's naked somewhere and they've cornered him and he's like oh damn it don't you underestimate me because i still have the upper hand and then all of a sudden does he say the upper hand he he should have said i still have two upper hands (laughs) (laughs) and lift david warner's clean out of the corridor (laughs) i can't remember verbatim what he says but yes anyway so then clomp 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 the armor steps into the hallway did you also think that Stepashin was going to be wearing it? Oh, that would have been interesting. I absolutely... I thought... I didn't realise that he had killed Stepashin until the armour is revealed to be empty. I assumed at that point that, oh, when Stepashin says, hey, you, let's form an alliance, he goes, yeah, okay, let's form an alliance because I need to get off this boat. Yeah. And um, then Stepashin dons the armour. Yeah, and comes straight for Zukov. And he's like, I'm captain now, bitch. And exactly. And takes it from there. Yeah, because it turns out that he also is cold-blooded, you know? <laughs> yeah. That would have been good. 
I don't know if it would have been good, but well. that was my assumption. And it turns out I was completely wrong. <laughs> I like it. Who? Which yeah. Which body did they find that had been dismembered? Maybe that is Stepishin. That was, was that not Stepishin? I think he might have been one of them. And there was also another one. I don't know if it was the guy who was the submarine's alarm system shouting, Alarm! Alarm! <laughs> Every submarine has to have one. Because <laughs> that, that, sh- that should have been a lot creepier, I think, than it was. I don't know. I didn't find that I was very kind of tense watching this. And then I was thinking about what has happened. Okay. And we don't often see people killed in such a violent way especially when clara sees it and she's like oh a dismembered body in front of me like that's that's really like things have got real yeah, yeah she, she goes she... into proper shock she does yeah she is fantastic in this episode she is pretty good yeah oh and so just like take chargey like, no no i'll i'll go speak to the gigantic lizard monster wearing a suit of techno armor yeah. oh that was a bit lord of the ringsy though wasn't it which scene? In what way? When the witch king of Angmar is like, no man can kill me. And Eowyn is like, well, actually, babe. And you know, <laughs> spears him or whatever. And, and they're going, well, I, he's at war with me. Well, he's at war with me. Well, he has to talk to one of us, surely. <laughs> Drag it out. Hello. Oh, I really liked that. I like that she stepped up and she was like, well, I'm going to do it. But then... It seemed it was entirely pointless because then Doctor starts talking to Skaldak directly. Is Skaldak picking up like the transmission somehow? Be, yeah. So it's like, oh, Clara doesn't really need to be there anymore. Yeah. No, you know what? That's a very good point, oh, actually. You're talking about the CCCP TV scene. <laughs> 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 Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, but like we can't fault Clara for that. She no. didn't know that that was no. going to happen. Yeah. So she still exhibited incredible bravery. Yeah, and she's very brave. Room. Going, she goes right, right right up to him, and the doctor's like calling her back, and she's yeah. like, "No, I'm okay." And so that, cool your boots, Clara. Yeah. <laughs> but I know, and I was a bit like, uh, "Okay, Clara, you don't need to go and prod the guy." But yeah, and then that's when she, they realise that it's empty. The shell is empty, and he's escaped. Yeah. And that is really good, actually. Did you spot, awesome. by the way, that? At one point he's speaking and there's a side-on shot of the suit and the mouth part just isn't there. I thought <gasps> no. it was a bloop. Oh, did you? Yeah. And it completely wasn't. I did not spot it at all. Clever, no, I didn't. I was really pleased with myself. <laughs> Very well observed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the doctor, he just sees these bodies dismantle mm. and runs off to the next scene and he doesn't even check how Clara's doing. Yeah. But she's sort of stumbling after him and, and not firing zingers back at him. And he's yeah. like oh, I've got to go and do something else. But that really brought home to me that, that that made me not want to imagine, but almost compelled to imagine what on earth she saw. Yeah. And I thought it was pretty effective. But while we're talking about Skalak's suit. Yes. Getting back into the suit, right? Does he sort of slither into it somehow? Well, we don't see it. What happens is they're standing in the corridor and he's up in the roof or the ceiling panel and saying, you're tactical advantage isn't as good as you might think or something like that yeah and then the suit comes clomping up and there's a bit of slither and a gunshot and a really slow shot of the suit sort of clanking shut and clanking together and the doctor's talking all the time and then he's just in it and walks away or or rather the suit just walks away it's really disjointed and again I, i felt cheated out of a reason for him not getting shot during that transition and no real understanding of the physical maneuvers involved 
I really just like how the like how he moves out of the suit as well because like you say it doesn't it doesn't make any sense it's too fast and it's is everywhere and why would you encase yourself in this really clunky slow armor if you're a a being that is super speedy and can that's trade-offs isn't it do you think he actually fills out the whole thing i mean does he have does he even have like legs. A humanoid yeah, figure. exactly. I, I mean, he know. has the hands yeah. with the, they're really the... long and super skinny. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Is it maybe a teeny tiny men in black scenario where there's just like a little lizard guy in there piloting <laughs> a gigantic suit? He just happens to have a ginormous lower jaw or yeah. like a, a big chin. And aside from that, he's just like, Neh. he's he's a scaly adipose with branches for arms. Is what's exactly. Going on. Yeah. <laughs> For arms. <laughs> but also the fact that he's zipping to and fro through the corridors faster than the speed of bullets or whatever which by the way maybe don't fire too many in your submarine but anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> it really clashes with the necessarily slow puppet work of the arms mm. they don't feel like the same creature at all which again disjointed but the suit of armor walks it clumps around on its own you mean suity clomp clomp suity clomp 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 clomps around on its own so what i'm thinking is basically he isn't walking in there he isn't a big strong lumber like lumbering monster he relies on this suit to be a giant you know a, a scary warrior the way a dalek relies on its tank how does he call the suity clomp clomp back to him is it like a telepathic i think he just has a i mean they say in this one that he's not bionic. Maybe they do say it. Biomechanoid is what they yeah. say. Yeah. So he is somehow technologically enhanced and presumably has a connection to his suit. Like, the two are one. Yeah, he sends out a sonic signal. Okay, if he... Uh, yeah, he does. No, I remember. If he couldn't get out of the chains while he was in the suit, then how did the suit get out of the chains without him? Okay, so maybe the suit... <laughs> wait, wait, I'm going to try to defend this. So maybe... <laughs> He, he opens the suit, he slithers out, and then while the suit is chained up, he, as this teeny tiny uh, Groot monster, it slowly but surely undoes all the chains, picks the locks and everything, and then either slithers back into the suit, or no, actually, he doesn't even have to slither back into the suit. So when Clara shows up, his empty suit isn't even chained up. Boom. I say boom, entirely unconvinced myself. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So the chains are just loosely draped where Clara... Well, Clara doesn't know exactly, exactly where they were. No. Yeah, clever old Skaldak. <laughs> or it could just be a ruse from the beginning. The suit might just be able to burst them apart just with absolutely zero problem, but he's going through the, the pretense of, yeah, you can tie me up and I definitely will not be able to... It just doesn't seem like the kind of warrior that would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's a grand marshal. You hold this chap in really high regards. (laughs) He's a grand marshal, not an underhand (laughs) marshal. That sort of behaviour would be be beneath him. (laughs) That is indecent going, (laughs) Skaldak. Okay, what about the the submarine setting? As we we watched this last night, and, and Miriam, before falling asleep about halfway through this episode, made a made a point of saying that this in no way differs from any other spaceship mm. episode. Yeah, it's a submarine, it's very cool, but she was unimpressed because she figured, well, if you're in a spaceship, you also can't go out. You're also confined to tunnels and corridors. And, and Yeah, were you impressed? Did you find it interesting? Well, when I said rehash earlier, I was thinking 
primarily of the Impossible Planet, which this reminded me of quite a lot. The Impossible Planet is the first part of which the Satan Pit is the second part. Oh, God, no. (laughs) So there you have the modular space base. And again, there's... Well, there are are quite a few parallels. Maybe Waters of Mars also? Very possible. Although they do actually go outside and waters as well, don't they? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. In the Impossible Planet, we had an archaeologist. Here we have some sort of biologist or oil driller for very little Reno, some sort of scholarly type. And one or two people always die. And again, that happens here. I ended up feeling like I I liked seeing the Das Boot version of that. (laughs) And there were some nice external shots that we hadn't seen before. Yeah. But all done with miniatures. Ah. Yeah, according to the trivia. All done with miniatures. Really nicely done, by the way. Mm. Yeah. And there weren't any farts in these corridors. But (laughs) did you say farts? Yeah. Wait, why? Impossible Planet. Clearly worth a rewatch. Oh, no. (laughs) Does someone fart? In a corridor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten that. Yeah. But, you know, the claustrophobia. Claustrophobia starts to feel the same wherever you are if the camera tighten up. Yeah, I guess. In one of the Ice Warrior serials, the classic ones, The Seeds of Death, they have some sort of... Uh, I need to... I, I'll probably not rewatch it for a while, but I, I may go ahead and... And I would recommend that anyone else in podcast land do this. Re-listen to our review of it. The Seeds of Death, where... I think that the Ice Warriors had some sort of poison, or it was a foam anyway, and I think, it, I think they were going to kill humanity with this foam. And it turns out the one thing, the, the one thing that can stop the foam is water. <laughs> oh no! Water is an anomalous molecule. Go to a planet that is largely comprised of water and try to defeat beings that are largely comprised of water. And then now, fast forward to 1983, or slash this episode in 20-whenever it was, and it is set underwater. I don't know if that in any way is a reference back to Classic Who, but it seems like Skalak is surrounded by the one thing that can stop his race's most terrifying weapon, you know? I think... No foam for you, Skaldak. I think had he made any reference to it, that would be brilliant, mm. but he didn't. Okay. So... Good on you, Leon. You keep trying to improve this episode, <laughs> but it's just not there. I may also just misremember that that serial, that classic serial. Listen to the the review of it. As I recall, it was quite fun. It was with Nick, I think. We should have a phone party episode. Oh yes, we should. Excellent idea. <laughs> <laughs> you hosting that one, Drew? Uh, yes. <laughs> the the submarine setting does lead to one of my biggest beefs with this episode, though. <laughs> Which is that the kid is counting up. 400 meters, 600 meters, 610. And then they come to rest on the underwater ridge at 720 meters, very clearly visible on the gauge. Okay. And he says, 700. And I'm screaming at the screen. It's right in front of you. It's there. Why haven't you changed the shot? <laughs> As though you didn't hate a countdown slash count up enough. <laughs> they had to get it wrong. Yes. The misuse of numbers in Doctor Who is egregious. Okay, question about that. When, when that is reversed and the Ice Warriors pull them up, tractor beam them to the surface, yeah, because, why don't because all you the humans t- just, like, explode <laughs> because of the pressure change? The bends. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was a pretty uh, sharp... Also, isn't it lucky that they can't teleport Skaldak out through the ice and the water, but they have to raise the whole submarine up to the surface and through the ice, which submarine has to be pretty strong stuff. But anyway, yes. And only then can they actually finish the job once all the humans are safe. Yes. What a relief. (laughs) (laughs) So when the submarine rises to the surface, as in when it is pulled to the surface, 
Far too quickly. Far too quickly, and everyone survives, and no one is even unconscious or anything. Everyone's fine. Do they actively fill their hold with oxygen or whatever it is that they do in order to rise to the surface or stay on the surface? Because otherwise, once the tractor beam is turned off, wouldn't they just sink again? (laughs) (laughs) Have the exact same opening scene over again. (laughs) Probably. There's no ice clamp holding them in place. Exactly. But there is the goodwill of David Warner, absolute legend. Yeah. He's enough to keep anything buoyant. <laughs> Speaking of, I'm going to I'm going to look him up on IMDb so I can find out what the what the name of that film was in which he had like telepathy sex with Pamela Anderson because that was <laughs> so beneath him. It, it was wonderful. I got some more credits for David Warner. I he, saw that film a number of times as a teenager. Go ahead. He played <laughs> Just reverse those lines and you'll have and you'll have a, a fl- nice flowing section of anyway. So he played Chancellor Gorkon in the Undiscovered Country. Uh-huh. He played Lord Aslock in Doctor Who Dreamland. Oh. A CGI tenant side project that we didn't review. He played Lord Angstrom in Buzz Lightyear Star Command. He played Senator Sandar in the crappy Tim Burton Planet of the Apes. Basically, what I'm trying to say is you have a prestigious title and a surname for your character. Send David Warner your script because he will not say no. (laughs) We can get him and Danny Trejo. I'm game. I am 100% (laughs) game. Yes, we're doing this. We're doing this. And because everyone is wondering, it was called Naked Souls. It has a 3.2 on IMDb. (laughs) Really that high? (laughs) (laughs) It made my 13th year of life. Like, it it was great. It it was great. One of Leon's biceps is bigger than the other to this day. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> David Warner was also in three episodes of Twin Peaks. Yes, he was. Oh, yes, of course he was. Is there no new no limit to this man's excellence? Oh, David Warner is such a legend. My goodness. I'm, uh, I'm 100% on board for writing something and just, just let's just pitch it, for, it to him. Let's just see if he does it. <laughs> well, like, we can't pay you, David. We'll, we'll buy you dinner. And we will listen to all of your stories and, oh, it's going to be great. This is happening. This is now actually happening. Okay, great. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so David Warner, unimpeachably excellent. Yes. What sort of Soviet university did this guy attend where he thinks that this biped, clearly a biped mammoth. figure, is a mammoth? <laughs> or, as, or as the captain says, a mammoth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The block of ice that he is in is not only quite see-through. I mean, you can tell that there is a bipedal creature in there. It is also hollow because he is moving around inside that ice block. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I don't know. Why is he so into mammoths? Hang on, what is the mission of this submarine? And what is his role aboard it? His role aboard it seems to have been helping them to drill for oil, which is another rehash of... The Hungry Earth. Yes, yes. Another scaly reptile being discovered, being awakened Awakened. after many thousands of years by a big-ass drill. Blurg. That's so true. Yeah, okay. And at the same time, they are on war game manoeuvres. They can do both, clearly, because you you can go months without a development in the Cold War. These missions are long. They, They are half a year or more. So they, as a lone submarine, go somewhere... Drill. A lone wolf. A lone <laughs> Drill for oil with... I mean, that requires quite a serious rig, drilling for oil. 
This is a military sub. It has one of those oil rigs attached to it, apparently. Anyway, they drill for oil. Then what? Do they have, like, Tupperware? Like, what, what do they do to store the... Like, what do they do? They drill for oil, and then what? Alert Moscow. Call like, the motherland. <laughs> and they're like, we must go quickly to... This is my best Russian accent. Oh, shit. You, no, wait. Am I offending people with this? Fuck it. We've lost another 7% of our audience. <laughs> we must go to submarine. They've already d- drilled a hole. Is oil everywhere. Big mess. We must hurry. <laughs> <laughs> Next time, don't give drill. Just give order. We wait. <laughs> Ask Professor Grisenko. He listening to his bloody music. I Spanish man along for the ride. I am from communist Cuba. Down with the capitalist dogs. Fernando, Fernando! <laughs> Fernando, Dovarish Fernando, will you stop smoking aboard this nuclear, <laughs> nuclear vessel which we use for mammoth hunting and also oil drilling? Uh, we Cubans, we do not smoke cigars, we only eat cigars now. It is all our economy can produce. Stop eating the cigars, it's terrible. The smell from the mess hall is awful. Melaya Moya, my body is unable to digest anything except cigars now. I am the new communist man. Uh, right. So, yeah, it, it's confusing. Yes. <laughs> okay, I have another question for you. Go for it. Slash theory. But first, the question. Let's say... Basing this on how the Doc behaved when he and Clara first plopped into the submarine here, and it's sinking and it's terrible and yada yada yada. Let's say they materialized aboard the Titanic. It is on its way down. They materialize in a part of the Titanic that is not identifiable as part of the Titanic. Would he just immediately rescue the ship? Because he probably could, right? He would just sonic something. He's like, oh, they're done. I mean, he could, because he tells Clara straight up here, time is in flux, history can be rewritten. I was going to say, who, yeah, who decided that the Titanic was a fixed point in time? But, I, I mean, at this point, uh, at this point, so now, we, we live and uh, watch the Doctor, and as does Clara. So Clara is in our, our time, right? So mm. she is aware of certain things having, having happened, including... Even though she may not be aware of it, she lives in a world where there are probably textbooks, maybe not textbooks, there are military documents that say this submarine sank mm. and everyone died. And most likely the reason there wasn't World War Three is because it sank mm. along with this ice war. So he rescues the ship, thus endangers the entire world, and now has to rescue the world from the, the peril that he caused himself. But now... Consider that Titanic moment. Should he rescue the Titanic? Would he rescue the Titanic and should he rescue the Titanic and what are the consequences thereof? Should he always rescue whatever situation he just plops into? Or should there be a like a 30-second survey where he goes like, so who are you? Okay, first off, are you Nazis or members of the KKK? No, okay, cool. Is this, you know, what year is this? What is the name of this ship, etc., etc.? Yeah, are you a good captain determined to sink with your ship or are you Billy Zane? Yes, there you go. Exactly, yeah. Billy Zane wasn't the captain. He doesn't need to think. No, but he can be less of a dick about it. Do you know who else was on Titanic, by the way, in the in the movie? <gasps> this guy, this old guy. David Warner. David Warner. <laughs> <laughs> I did know that. Yes. Yeah. 
This oh. is why we can't break, you know, worldwide. It's a tiny boys club. <laughs> <laughs> it's all Mark Gatiss, David Warner, and Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think the prosaic answer, which is rather cheap on my part, is that if you have heard of it, if it is not fictional, it's going to happen as it happened. Otherwise, Doctor Who diverges and we lose all moorings of the show. And they can do literally anything. Why can't they do literally anything? <laughs> so is this a Final Destination type answer? Is, is it a case of, let, let's say he materialises aboard of the Titanic, he doesn't know that it's the Titanic that he's saving, he just sees lots of people in peril, mm. and he fixes it in five seconds by throwing a, an anti-shipwreck device at a massive hole in the wall. And then someone goes, oh, wow, you know what? That was nearly very embarrassing. The Titanic nearly sank. And he's like, oh, fuck. (laughs) What have I done? And then a second, much bigger iceberg looms on the horizon. From behind them, they're just going to (laughs) get crushed between two icebergs. Yeah, they're like, oh, put it in reverse. Doot, doot, doot. (laughs) They back into an iceberg. So so do you think that it's then a case of, like, the universe correcting for these little mistakes, these inaccurate or, or unfounded acts of altruism by the Doctor? Insofar as you can co-opt the writers as a natural force in this fictional universe, yes. Okay. Okay. I've always thought of it as whatever the Doctor does is what he was always supposed to do. And so it almost, they become fixed points in time after he's touched them. Ah. So probably if he ended up on the Titanic, it would sink. He would try and save it and he wouldn't be able to, but he might be able to save one family or or some, like something would like a tiny thing would change but oh i really like that as an explanation yeah so okay well take the pompeii yeah example so the pompeii that's a natural disaster he doesn't have to i I suppose there are some aliens in there as well who are like hey we're made of lava but there's a natural disaster there is a volcano going to erupt Mm. kill tons of people he could fix that I mean, he could fix that, right? Yeah. But he chooses not to, and he even has this whole debate with his companion. He's like, well, just do it. Just, like, freeze the volcano or whatever. Like, just save the... Tell people to move. Do yeah. that instead. Yeah. Let it erupt, but tell people to go to the next village. But but he doesn't, because it's a fixed point in time. That seems... The ironic thing is I just saw a program on Pompeii where it said about... They found about 1,500 bodies out of a population of 12,000. So actually, most of the people survived. Oh, really? Yeah. Most of, there, were, there were pre-shocks and tremors, and most Warnings, of the people were sensible. Yeah. And just left, yeah. Yeah, or, or rich enough to leave. And mm. yeah, yeah, exactly. Fucked right off and survived. Hmm. Do your research, Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's this about? Lava monsters. Nothing about that in the books. <laughs> Have you yeah, guys seen the, the Pompeii? never mentioned that. Uh, no. <laughs> it's top secret stuff. Or was it Pliny the Younger? Shit. Did you guys watch the Pompeii movie with what's-his-face Jon Snow? No. No, nor I. It looked like shit. (laughs) Pliny the Younger. Well done. I'm pretty sure. Pliny the Elder was the guy who was like, you can cure anything if you lick enough bat penises. (laughs) Or (laughs) etc. Including boredom. (laughs) For the bat as well. Did you guys notice, slash, what did you think of the sonic screwdriver having a red light? I did not notice. That's like the sonic dr- screwdriver's equivalent of a cloister bell. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> 
when he's like, oh no, I'll sacrifice us all. I'll use the Sonic and I'll I'll kill us mm-hmm. so that you can't kill the world. Then all of a sudden, boom, red lights. Is there a special new edition of the 11th Sonic with a red light just out in time for Christmas? Yeah, pay twice, buy two of them. We just switched the bulb. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it added something. There were red buttons. That was a nice parallel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> it was a thing. It happened. It was a thing. Translation Matrix. Yes. Okay. Here we go. Well, I liked it a lot until the end. As with so much of this damn episode. Oh. Where the doctor is giving Clara an explanation. But at the same time, this isn't like last week, where the episode just stopped when the characters had to have a nice, long, leisurely conversation for the sake of the framing or whatever they were trying to say that wasn't actually relating at all to the action happening in front of them. Like there is a giant sun with a face on it and it's going to bite your face off. You know what? We should stand and chat about, you know, other things. Here, the doctor's like, do we have to do this now? Shut up, please. Oh, come on. Okay, I'll give you the short answer. And they talk about that and they explain it and it's great. And then you get to the end of the episode and the TARDIS could not be further away from them while still on the same planet. And it's still working. Does that mean the translation makes tricks is a planetary wide deal now, wherever they go? That seems a stretch. Does the, does the TARDIS leave something in you uh, when you travel aboard it? Like, is there, is there a part of the TARDIS energy, for lack of a better word, that stays with everyone who has ever travelled in the TARDIS. Uh, yeah, that's how I always understood it. Is that, yeah, having travelled in the TARDIS, then, then you get the translation matrix and then you just have it then, no matter where you are. It's like so, a babblefish. Yeah. So all ex-companions can just go anywhere they like all over the yeah. world, never have to use Duolingo or Google Translate or anything. Maybe it wears off after a while. Maybe you... Like, Sarah Jane Smith, she was on earth doing her thing i've never watched the sarah jane adventures but like she did her thing for a long time and presumably she didn't still benefit from the tardis translation matrix in like season 58 of the sarah jane adventures oh i don't know i mean if she's an investigative journalist she can take down all sorts of regimes anywhere around the world she's the world's greatest polyglot yeah, she blends in anywhere where you want a woman with her just regular run-of-the-mill metal dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in less developed parts of the world, she could claim it was her toilet or something. <laughs> it's my dog-shaped toilet. <laughs> Classic. It did it contradict. I mean, you, you've said this really, but I mean, in the last episode, the last New Who episode, there's that one scene where Clara's talking about being on the pier and having fish and chips and whatever. And we had a whole conversation about it. This means absolutely nothing to this girl, but she's just nodding along. Like, yeah, but, but more great. directly than that, the TARDIS is just around the corner in the bazaar. They're, lean, they're leaning against it. Like they're hiding behind the TARDIS when this conversation's happening. When that conversation's happening. Oh, yeah, but sorry. when she's just around the corner, all these dialects are flying past her and us. And the dog is just barking and there aren't any words. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I agree. No, no, you're, you're right. I mean, if you're going to contradict your show, at least put a buffer in between. Don't make it consecutive. Yeah. No, no. I, I agree with that. I just wanted to go back to Clara again, because mm. um, <laughs> I did think she was, did a very good job in this episode. She's a very talented lady. I liked, there was a bit where Doc says, I think it might be after we talked about how she's been really scared. She's had this nice like realization that it's all getting real and people have died and this is you know it's a terrifying place to be and she does that really well and then i think 
quite soon after that the doctor tells her like stay here and she goes okay and he's like no I said stay and she's like no like I'm definitely saying you've told me to stay so I will and it's like that's such a nice he's so used to people saying no like I will, <laughs> yeah I'm gonna come with you I'm gonna save the day and da 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 and just gung-ho going into whatever because they trust him so implicitly yeah, that the or, safest or, place to be is with the doctor. Or if you're Amy Pond, like, fuck, I'm staying here, Jimmy. <laughs> exactly. Do I fucking well like. <laughs> but yeah, it was really nice to see her just being really scared and not, not trusting him yet because she doesn't really know him that well. Like, we've seen more of her than she has of him because this is only her second outing with him. Yeah. So she doesn't know that he's going to always save the day just because he saved it once before, you know. Or twice already, I guess. But she was um, like space vespying across an asteroid belt in the last episode. But I think because she felt responsible for the little girl, she'd said like... Oh, fair enough. It's, you know, you're going to be safe and I'm the adult and so I'm going to protect you. Whereas in this situation, she's the least qualified one there. These are all soldiers of very indifferent species. And, you know, she's just met an alien and, she, and well, she's met aliens before, but... I don't know. And I can understand it being quite an overwhelming feeling and she does that very well. Yeah, I agree. She exhibits an incredible range, actually. More so in this episode than in the last episode. Yeah. Yeah, she's good. Yeah, haunted, nervous cowed Clara is not what I expected to see. No. I I don't think I ever expected to see that side of her, really. But it's really refreshing because most of the companions are just really brave and and will do anything that he tells them to and... And you never get to see that side of it. But they almost... You're thrown into that situation. You would be terrified. Yeah. It's nice to oh see. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. Okay, there was one other reference to Classic Who in this one. The HADS, Hostile Action Displacement System, the thing that gets the TARDIS to disappear or to dematerialize. I had to look up when it was actually mentioned, but it has shown up and we've even reviewed it. It showed up in the Crotons, aka the Croutons. <laughs> Which is not a great serial, but but yeah, classic Who, classic Who. It's never it it's never been mentioned on New Who before. There's really no n- need for it to be in this one. Even they could call it something else. But the fact that they're calling it Hads, it's like a nice little nod to the hardcore fans and to the legacy of the show. And it's nice to have a reason that the TARDIS disappeared as well, because I'm sure like a few episodes ago the TARDIS just kept not being there for whatever reason. And we were like, oh, they lost the TARDIS again. That's annoying. And, he did, and it happened again. I don't know. Well, no, you're, no, you're no. right. This was a step up from the, well, we know it has to be somewhere else. So we'll just hand wave it and yeah. go along with it because tension, right? And I really liked at the end when he turns out um, is at the South Pole and is like, hey, can we have a lift? <laughs> <laughs> that was a good line. Sweet little ending. Yeah. yeah. Now they're going to be stuck aboard this sweaty submarine <laughs> with just dudes. <laughs> So how long does it take a submarine to get from exactly, the North Pole yeah. to the South Pole? That is going to take a good long while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, those dead bodies piling up below decks are going to stink by the time Ooh. they're down there. Should they not go back to Moscow first and give them all a military, you know, proper burial? The captain has just lost half his crew and he's going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> So much fun. Yes, our friendship is off to a great start, Doctor. <laughs> the Earth nearly destroyed. No need for paperwork. <laughs> do, 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 do. The operative word is nearly. I won't tell if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't have had enough food to feed two stowaways, but fortunate for us, we have a Cuban who only eats cigars. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And we have two bodies readily dismantled. I'll send them down to Chef. 
before we before we're even in the mess. Right, okay. My favourite line of this episode was the doc saying, I'm always serious. <laughs> that was that. <laughs> Shall we rate this? Yeah. Okay. I mean <laughs> if you're sure. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong bing bong hey la 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 Ratings. I really struggled with this episode because I remembered really, really liking this episode. And then we watched it last night and I was sort of really underwhelmed. And then on the way over here again, I was humming the song again. I was remembering the Corbett's and I was thinking, oh, wow, maybe, maybe it wasn't as bad. Maybe it's great, actually. Maybe it's a great episode. But I think it's just like the, the little trailer for it, the preview that we had last week is really fucking cool. And it looks really cool. <laughs> And, like, the concept is good. Visually, most of it's quite nice. I like the Ice Warrior. Clara is fantastic, as always. There are some really, really nice bits in it. But when you stretch it out to a whole episode, it's just quite thin. I didn't know... Why does Clara faint? She faints in the... Right in the beginning. And it's very dark and dramatic, and she comes to and everything a bit weird. But I don't know why I don't know why she fainted in the first place. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, there's all the dark, <laughs> moody shots of her face from different angles yeah. sweeping away or another to make it look like she's been out for ages because yeah. she fell into some water. <laughs> and it does it just looks really cool and then but there is no no sort of substance to back it up. And the Ice Warrior is terrifying and he should well he should be terrifying, but I don't I think as soon as he comes out of his shell He's not. He's a bit of a joke. You oh. asked. You asked me if I liked the hand things, and uh-huh. I said yeah because I was remembering. Oh, they looked quite cool. But actually, I've written in my note. There's the line. One of the guys goes, "We'll be the first to discover aliens," and then the alien hand literally grabs his head. And I just wrote that that is cheesy as hell, and I didn't like that at all. Like it's it's re- it's really cheesy. <laughs> so like the hands looked cool, but how they were used maybe wasn't great. I don't know. And then we come to the climax and the. Ice Warrior, Skaldax got his finger on the button. He's about to blow the nuclear. The whole world's going to be at war. Everyone's going to die. It's really dramatic. Doctor says, hey, no, I'm going to blow my button first. I'll blow this before you. (laughs) 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 Keep talking. (laughs) Slowly, slowly. (laughs) Um, I'll kill us all before you have a chance to reach the button. And he has to turn around to talk to the doctor for him to say that. And then he turns slowly around again and puts his finger right back on the button again. And at no point has the doctor pushed his button and therefore the threat's just gone because like nothing stops the Ice Warrior from pushing the button other than, I guess, his own moral code. Like the doctor doesn't stop him. And so it's, it all just sort of falls. There's no tension at the end. It all just falls a bit flat. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> like I said, I really love the captain. Captain, what's his face? Zukov. Zukov, yes, from my childhood. And old man polar bear hunter is great. One of my David. one of my first questions was <laughs> old man polar polar bear hunter. <laughs> Why do they have a cattle prod on a submarine? And then I answered it, oh, the polar bears. Duh. You know, leave no, no stone unturned. It's brilliant. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I, don't, I just think I left feeling a bit underwhelmed and a bit meh. And I think it was a good concept. I, I really had much higher hopes for. And actually, kind of three quarters of the way through, 
I was thinking, this must be a two-parter. I must be remembering that I liked the second part more than the first one. There must oh. be loads more to come. Um, and uh, and yeah, nothing else came. So I th- yeah, so I think I'm gonna get I'm I'm gonna give it a two point two. <gasps> I've written two point two for you. <gasps> no way. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> Although admittedly, I only just wrote that. <laughs> oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Drew, you or me? I can go. Okay, go for it. David Warner was also in The Man with Two Brains. <laughs> <gasps> no way! Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Which uh, we talked about in our last Classic Who uh, episode, which hasn't dropped at the time of recording this episode. Oh, fab. Yeah. Okay, so remove everything we've seen before from this episode, and what are we left with? Pepe the Martian Frog. <laughs> okay. As I said, I had zero memory of this episode, but that might just be because it's simply 100% unmemorable. The basic premise of putting an ice warrior in a Cold War is a truly mighty pun. I have to give Mark Gates props for that. And introducing an ice warrior to mutually assured destruction is also fine. But otherwise, it's as formulaic a base under attack episode as they come. What Marie was talking about earlier, with the finger going back on the button, and then he turns around and it's back on the button again. None of the tension in this episode is really well earned, apart from when you just have to great big scary suit of armor clomping around the tiny submarine and that's what you should stick to and whenever mark gatis intervenes with some gatisserie gatisserie <laughs> it starts to fall flat but i can't hate this episode because as marie again said all the acting is really good matt smith doesn't have to carry this for a change because jenna coleman is an actual beating heart the sub crew are all perfectly capable even though they're playing stock characters. The ending is atrocious, though, so I'm going to give it what I gave Cold Blood, because it's essentially an episode we've seen before. 2.1. I had 2.0 for you. Okay. I didn't give it 2.0, because that's what I gave Love and Monsters. (laughs) (laughs) And this is better than that. Oh, okay. I haven't looked at what what I've given other ones. Uh, Some both excellent minis. Right. Okay, I'll start with the ending. I also found the ending quite underwhelming, and the reason for that was twofold. First of all, the Doctor is aiming his sonic at Skaldak and saying, well, I'll sacrifice all of us. Using my deus ex machina, I will sacrifice all of us to rescue mankind. But hitherto, that deus ex machina has also proven to be able to, for example, reprogram computers, or, one might assume, defuse nuclear submarines. Mm. Like, why would he have to explode the ship or something? Why couldn't he just turn off the machine that Skaldak is about to press a button on? Yeah, or at the very least, he could screw quite well with a biomechanoid. Yes, exactly. True. Do that. Do anything like that. And the second thing is that, I mean, we, we start off with him being cattle prodded. And it seemed to me that, oh, and I genuinely assumed whilst watching this episode, it's going to lead up to this, right? They're in a metal ship. At some point, the doc is going to go, we've already discovered electricity is the flaw. That's the one thing he can't handle despite this incredible armor. And they're going to electrify like a corridor in some way. Electrify the outer hull, whatever, something like that. Yeah. Knock him out. Never. Not ever. Nonsense. Instead, they fire bullets at this thing, which, as you pointed out, Drew, why would you even have these weapons readily available aboard a submarine? When you have a perfectly good cattle prod that has worked. <laughs> exactly, yes. Yes, what, wait, what happened to that cattle prod? <laughs> 
But the cast is fantastic. I mean, Matt Smith, brilliant. He didn't have to carry it, but he did so incredibly well. Clara, fantastic. She, her character has gained a little bit more depth. Captain, great. Cheekbones, awesome. Uh, and uh, obviously, it goes without saying, David Warner, many of my, many points, not many full points, but decimal points are given just for David Warner. Overall, this was part remake of the Ice Warriors, part Alien as in the the first Alien movie, it, it might as well just be a uh, an alien aboard the Nostromo, as opposed to the naked ice warrior aboard a submarine. I think in Alien, there's also the scene where he picks up someone by the head and pulls him up, in fact. Oh. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, but I, 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 I might, probably is. I, I might be misremembering. Yeah. Either way, really, really liked those parts of this, but it's very low on plot. It's just a, it's just a hunt. It's even, it's less based on the siege and more, oh, we're being stalked by an alien. It's, it's more alien and it's not as good as alien. So I've, I've given this 1.5 for the episode and 0.5 for David Warner, giving this a total of 2.0. Well, well. Man, I'm really annoyed that I've given it the highest score out of everyone. <laughs> you yeah. said, yeah, 2.0, 2.1, 2.2. You saw the most smack about it by miles. <laughs> yeah, no, I really didn't like it. <laughs> I thought you would all go higher than that. Can I add a little bit of trivia here, actually? So there was an original version, a prior version of this script, which sounds so much more interesting. Really? Yeah, just reading this off uh, Todd's Wiki, I'll, I'll, well, I'll read a bit of it. In the original script, the Ice Warrior Skaldak was a more complex creation. He was a time traveller from the 31st century who planned to provoke a nuclear war which would wipe out humanity, thereby preventing mankind from dominating Mars in his era. After mind-controlling the Doctor's new companion, in fact, I'll read the whole thing. <laughs> After mind-controlling the Doctor, his new companion, at this point a Victorian-era governess named Beryl. <laughs> wow. <laughs> to further his scheme, Skaldak was ultimately killed by one of the Russians. The surviving crew escaped a British sub, the Redoubt, while the sinking Russian vessel was destroyed by the water. Well, I mean, Skaldak is still alive. He could come back with, you know, Jodie Whittaker. And, and, she and might... this could happen, you mean? Yeah, she might remind him of his daughter. Not all of this could happen, but some of it could happen. I mean, he's lasted 5,000 years. What's another thousand? Yeah, that's true. Oh, put me back on ice, chaps. <laughs> 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 Listen to minis? Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron. We have received not one, but two <laughs> Listener minis for this one. Reading these in chronological order, Trenton Bliss. Hello, Trenton. Hi, Trenton. Hi, Trenton. Trenton begins. Okay, so what this story is to me is a modern take on the 1967 story, The Ice Warriors, Mm. but it gives us a slightly new take to it. Trenton continues with, I still don't like Clara. Trenton, (laughs) why not? I just don't find her that interesting. She's basically there to be a runner and an assistant to the doctor. She isn't developed enough for me to like her yet. She doesn't click with the 11th Doctor. Sort of how, like, Sarah Jane Smith doesn't click with the third. She does, she do, she does do click with him, Trenton. <laughs> Clicking all over the shop. Anyway. Trenton, you should see the frustration on her face right now. <laughs> the indignation. <laughs> it's priceless. <laughs> Trenton continues. 
Let's play What Did the Writers Rip From The Ice Warriors? Ice Warriors discovered in a block of ice? Check. Base under siege? Check. Takes place somewhere icy? Check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> High stakes involving all of mankind? Yep, got that too. This story just gives off so many vibes from that story. Maybe I'm just seeing things or digging too deep. Yes. <laughs> Trenton carries on. But really, this is a new angle of the Ice Warriors we didn't get to see in the classic series. This Ice Warrior acts alone without troops or the federation or any of them honestly now that i think about it they might have ripped from a few other movies too <laughs> overall trenton thought it was okay not terrible but very average Ooh. 2.8 out of 5 nice one very nice thank you very much trenton overly nice <laughs> <laughs> Podcast Land, please, if you aren't already, follow Trenton on Twitter. He can be found at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two what's. That's right. And check out his uh, blog post on whobackone.com. Good stuff. Okay, next up, we have Tracy, Tracy from, from America. America. Hello, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Tracy starts, last episode reminded me a little of the Britain as a Space Whale episode that constituted Amy Pond's first off-world adventure. I hear Marie agreed. I did, Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) Continuing along the same trend, this episode reminds me of two others. Tracy gets a similar vibe from Mummy on the Orient Express, which at least does post-date this one, trapped on a vessel with a dangerous creature. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, The other episode Tracy is reminded of is Victory of the Daleks, with its classic foe and the companion still fresh to adventuring. Okay, yeah, okay, all right, check, all right, okay, (laughs) hang on, I'm going going down the bullet point list, okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's break from the episode and talk spoilerishly about all the Claras and Clara Prime. Ooh, spoilers. We know Clara jumps into the glowy timelight and splits into multiples in order to save the Doctor. My theory is as follows. Ooh, okay. Oh, no, yeah, spoil away. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say this quickly, so just glaze over if you don't want to hear it. Clara of modern times, brackets Clara Prime, is the Clara from which the others are derived. The others only exist during the time they need to encounter the Doctor. That's why Governess Clara is secretive about her background. She doesn't have one, and none of them do. All they have is the subconscious idea to find and save the Doctor, and once they do, they dissolve back into nothing. Dreams of Clara Prime. But all this occurs after Clara Prime travels with the Doctor for a long time. When she first meets him, she knows nothing about him at all. But he knows her, or rather, he knows a huge fragment of her. This echoes River in that they essentially meet out of order. This is why Clara Prime seems a more hesitant character than Governess Clara, or Oswin. The Doctor choosing to take Clara Prime along on adventures is what attaches her to him and drives her character traits. Sadly, this means that her best features are reflections of the Doctor's influence rather than her own qualities. But I look forward to your future discussions near the season's end. Perhaps you can tease out some Clara-based awesomeness I'm not seeing. Fortunately, most iPhones will allow you to play back in half speed. Damn it! (laughs) (laughs) Not at half speed. That kind of makes sense, actually. Yeah, I I think think I'm on board with that. Podcast Land, if you didn't get any of that, (laughs) or if your phone can't decipher it, then go to whobackone.com and reread it, please. I didn't take it in and I read it. I think I got it, and I think I agree. Yeah. Well, I disagree. The Her best features are reflections of the Doctor's influence. It doesn't... Rather than her own qualities. It doesn't mean... Yeah, that's maybe not giving her all the credit that she deserves. Yeah. Just because she's, she can be hesitant now because she's only just met him, it doesn't mean that later she won't be braver and more bold and... Yeah. Also, hang on, actually, is a consequence of this theory that Clara... The other Claras, the splintered Claras, that once they have helped the Doctor, they just vanish Oof. from existence. Apparently, Including yeah. the little girl in the park, for example. No, the little girl in the park is Clara Prime. Oh, that is Clara Prime. Sorry, yeah. you're right. So, but, but yeah, all the others, they just, boom, disappear. 
Yes, I think so. Otherwise, yeah. the universe would be full of Claras, teeming with Claras. It would, actually. I felt that maybe it was. Like the governess, you know. I mean, she had Poof. existed before then. But what about that she family? She falls from the sky. Is she not buried? Does she just disappear? Like, where, where? Wait, she is buried. There is a tombstone and everything, right? <gasps> yes, because Clara... Clara Prime the, yeah. sees that tombstone, or walks past she the tombstone. She walks past it, yeah. 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 but the grave is empty. Poof. Mm. Right, okay. Mm. Okay, cool. Tracy gives us a rating of... Not feeling a rating today. <laughs> you guys got my back, right? Yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. Always, Tracy, always. <laughs> Again, please go to whobackwin.com and read this at your leisure. <laughs> and say hello to Tracy online. She can be found at... Yekanyatnuf, that's Fountain Tracy backwards, almost. Thank you very much, Tracy. What have we got next up? First, we have a classic episode, namely... <gasps> Is it the Seeds of Doom? I think it might be the Seeds of Doom. It is the Seeds of Doom. (laughs) Cool. Oh, classic stuff. After which, New Who again, namely... Hide. Also written by Neil Cross. Mm. Mm. That looked pretty pretty cool, actually. It did look really cool. Very, very good. I really hope that it is cool and not just that whoever's doing the trailers at the minute is really awesome. Whoever's doing the trailers at the minute should be doing the show. Exactly. (laughs) In the meantime, people can say hello to us. Marie, you are not on Twitter, but people can uh, email you. Please send your missives to whobackwhen at gmail.com. We shall pass them along. Drew, you are? Drew Backwhen. Excellent branding. And I'm Matt Ponkin. You know how to spell that, probably. Thank you so much for listening. You've been a lovely audience, as always. Until the next time, rock on. Ciao, ciao. Ad cha ciao. Oh, dear. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Bye-bye. Toodles. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?